you know, you have friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, a cat or a dog, you belong to one or two charities, you do something for your community, you're passionate about something, you know, whether it's recycling or saving animals, you know, you have things in your life. We, we tend to be multidimensional, all of us in our lives. Kenny has never had that. He, he doesn't have family. He doesn't really have friends because only his political group around him. But those are relationships of opportunity. They're not really friendship. He doesn't have any animals. He doesn't, he doesn't belong to any clubs, any groups. He doesn't volunteer for any, anything. The only, he has only one dimension, and that's politics. Forgotten Corner Podcast would not exist without our listeners. If you enjoy the work we are doing on this show and would like to support further, please consider a donation through our Patreon account, patreon.com backslash forgottencornerpod, or visit our website, forgottencornerpod.com. Welcome back to the Forgotten Corner Podcast. My name is Scott Schmidt. I am your co-host. I'm here alongside my fellow co-host, Jeremy Appel. Jeremy... How are you doing up there in Calgary? Hey, hey, um, pretty good, pretty good. I've got a um, busy uh, week coming up, a uh, few pieces uh, in the pipeline, so to speak. Very Albert. And, <laughs> um, and yeah, so uh, stay tuned for those. But we've got a very exciting guest today, someone we've never spoken to before. So before we do get to our guest, Jeremy, I wanted to just quickly say hi to Mo Cranker, our editor and producer and everything that actually matters on this show to make it a show. How you doing, buddy? Doing quite well, Scott. How are you? I'm all right. Are you at your house today? Yeah, I am. You guys fighting? No. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Okay, well, listen, uh, I think it's safe to say we should just get into our guest today because uh, we, w- we don't want to keep him too long. And the last time we had him, we kept him waste so long that we had to have a two-part episode out of it. So it's kind of a popular demand return for our guest today. So let's get Oh right yeah, on. we did have him on. Before. Right. Yes, we have talked to him before. <laughs> right. <laughs> our guest this week really does need no introduction. Not only is he the former deputy premier of Alberta and a vocal critic of the current United Conservative government, he just so happens to be the most listened to guest we've ever had on The Forgotten Corner. We see ourselves as an in-depth journalistic program that digs into topics relevant to Alberta that don't get enough coverage or airtime, but we are often described, at the very least, as a left-leaning podcast with a message. Accuracy of that aside, Mr. Lukasik is the closest thing to a conservative guest we've ever had, and you all flock to listen in droves. And in our eyes, that's a wonderful thing. And so, without further ado, and because we have so much we want to talk about, Thomas, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. One day we need to talk about this right and left, because I think we divide ourselves into camps um, and, and we really honestly don't need to. It's a false line that we're drawing. I 100% agree with that. Like I, I'm sick of the I'm sick of the spectrum. I mean, I do. I think that it has its place when you're talking about like the extremes and whatnot and these self-described centrists and stuff like that. But um i think once you get talking about a certain topic that's when you decide what what you're feeling you've got to approach each issue with an open mind and and i mean certainly when we do that i tend to find myself on the one side each time but um, nonetheless i do believe that 
when we had you the last time, what we learned was that we were really on the same page about a lot of things, weren't we? That's right. That's right. I don't, I don't believe that the line is drawn along left and right. I, I think there are different titles and, and, and the lines cross that uh, cross section uh, in a different way. You know, some political scientists a long time ago developed the spectrum of, of right, left. Um, I think it doesn't apply anymore. There's there's different way of dissecting this and we can still end up in different camps, but not along the right and left anymore. Well, I think it comes from the French Revolution, right? Because in, in, in their uh, in their parliament or whatever they call it, um, the, you know, liberal sat in the middle and then socialists on the left and, you know, That's conservatives right. or like monarchists on the right. Yeah. So, um yeah, I, I mean, for another show. Yeah. Well, and I agree <laughs> that if you use the the word conservative, especially in Alberta, is so broadly thought thought about, like it doesn't. And so, if you describe things as a conservative, that kind of helps lead to people believing that Jason Kenney is like them in a way, right? Like, like, That's well, right. I'm conservative, and he's uniting us, so this is going to be the greatest thing that ever happened. And I think uh, safe to say we all know where that has led to. Now, if you haven't heard the first two parts of our uh, episodes with Thomas, I think it was November, right, Mo? Um, you got to go back and listen to those. We're going to try to make this episode stand alone, of course, but if you want to learn all about Thomas and his life growing up and how he got into politics and some get some really cool stories from while he was in politics, do go back and check out those last two episodes. But we want to start today. We had a couple things the last time we had you that we couldn't get to before we had to let you go. And we don't know how long we have you today because apparently you might be hospital bound when this episode is over because you can't can't seem to walk down the street without slipping on someone else's uh, non-shuffled sidewalk. So, <laughs> but uh, before without having making you tell that story, what I wanted to get start with, I think, was the one that one that we really wanted to get to last time was the story of the time that Jason Kenny called you an asshole in an email. And uh, mm -hmm. I think it's one of the funniest stories I've ever heard, but I want to hear it from your perspective. So I'll just sit back and let you tell it. It was funny. It has two layers to it because uh, it was funny from the fact that, you know, it rarely do you actually hear uh, a politician at that level calling another politician at that level a complete another asshole, right? Uh, he was a minister at that time, uh, in, in uh, a prominent minister in Harper's cabinet. I was a deputy premier um, in Alberta. And, and more so, you don't see politicians at that level with that expertise uh, putting it in writing. And he actually wrote that in an email. Um, but there are several layers to it. The, the first interesting layer is that at the moment he put it out, uh, his own caucus and other cabinet members leaked it to the media. So that tells you uh, about the dynamics in their caucus and cabinet and how much they, they admired Mr. Kenny. The moment they had something on him, they leaked it immediately. Uh, to the media, but but the real story was why it happened, and that story never really got out. What got out was the fact that he refused to apologize for the longest time. Uh, opposition in the House of Commons were asking him to apologize. Uh, finally, Harper made him apologize. He called me. Uh, I told him, you know what, this is not about apology. Let's just put this behind us and carry on. And uh, and and really, no grudges were and are held over that him saying that I am an asshole. That wasn't the problem. The problem was, what was the issue behind? Why did he call me um, that name? And, and that story is one that causes me to hold a grudge against him and, and uh, 
and and obviously it, it adds to why I feel the way I do about him. So the story is this, that at, at that time, a few months prior, uh, a young temporary foreign worker, a TFW, a Filipino lady, probably in her, I would say, mid-20s um, in Edmonton, was riding a bicycle to her job at McDonald's. She was working the early shift, the breakfast shift. So I think they get there very early in the morning, still in the dark. Uh, as she was riding a bicycle, she was struck by a vehicle, by a car. And, um, and she barely survived. I went to emergency. And as a result of this accident, she became quadriplegic. I lost all control of both her legs and her arms, all limbs. Uh, had a fractured skull, uh, barely made it. Uh, once uh, she was stabilized and they put her into what's called in Edmonton, the Glen Rose Rehabilitation Center, and then she was rehabilitating. They were trying to um, somehow um, help her regain uh, some control of her limbs um, unsuccessfully. But what happened was because she was a temporary foreign worker um, on a worker's visa, uh, TFWs are only allowed to stay in Canada as long as they're working. The moment you're not working because you got laid off or fired, you have to go or back to your country car, of origin or hit by a car. You have to go back to your country of origin, which in his case would have been Philippines. The problem in this case was that all medical doctors, and actually there were some of Filipino heritage who know the, the healthcare system in Philippines, said that if she goes back to Philippines, um, one of two things or both will happen. Number one, their medical system doesn't have the capacity to provide her with the medical care she needs right now. And, and she will simply die because they have a privatized healthcare system. If you go to a public hospital, it's just a rudimentary stuff. She needs uh, a very sophisticated process of rehabilitation, which only the rich get in the Philippines. And she obviously wasn't one. She was a TFW. So, so she'll die. The second problem was that um, in, in rural setting in Philippines, according to Filipino doctors, um, if you are a quadriplegic disabled woman, uh, you will be relegated to the bottom of society. You're, you're sort of, I hate to say this, but you're useless to the society. You, you're quadriplegic, you, you, you don't fulfill um, any social role. Uh, so her social status will be such that uh, you know, she, she, she will be suffering. So believe it or not, even, I was, even though I wasn't her MLA, a group of Filipinos rolled her into my constituency office in a wheelchair. She still had bandages on her head. Uh, she was in a rough shape. That was just a short, shortly after the accident when she came out of emergency. Um, so I wrote a letter to Jason Kenney and I said, you know what, we have this uh, situation here where we, we simply can't send her back to the Philippines. She needs to uh, have our care. She paid into Alberta healthcare system. She paid taxes in Canada while she worked over here. We, we need to at least rehabilitate her to the to the point where she can safely go back to the Philippines. Um, and that's where the battle began because uh, Kenny first shot the, across the bow, and and he said, "Which part of TFW temporary foreign worker doesn't Lukasik understand?" Uh, if she isn't a worker, then, then, then she can't be here. Um, I wrote him numerous letters and called him at his office and said, look, we have to make an exception here. This, this is not your standard situation where a worker got laid off. This woman's going to die. He said no. And, and he signed her deportation papers. 
Um, so she had to go back to Philippines. So what happened was a number of medical doctors in Edmonton and a church uh, put her into hiding. She was hiding in Edmonton, avoiding deportation, and doctors were providing her medical care outside of the system, pro bono, um, because what she needed. And she was getting medications for free, but she was hiding in Canada. And what I did with a group of lawyers in Edmonton who also did it for free, we filed an appeal to the federal court and we fought the deportation order and ultimately we won. Um, and, um, and she stayed in Canada and she became a Canadian citizen. Um, she rehabilitated as much as humanly possible and went to school and she's a productive uh, employed um, Canadian right now. But that's where it started. There was this battle over her and over temporary foreign workers. And, and that's why he called me what he called me. So, you know, people always assume that, you know, I, I have some kind of a vendetta uh, against Kenny because of my ego, because he called, called me a bad name. Not at all. This was a window into his soul. Uh, that situation told me what kind of a guy this guy really is. All this facade about being Christian and converted Catholic and, and all this BS. Um, he showed the true Kenny in a case where he was really going to sentence a woman to death. Um, why? Well, because he believes in the ideology and the free market and the policy says so, we will implement the policy. Uh, I, I couldn't believe it. Well, and I think it speaks to, and we've talked about before, and I had no idea that that was the story, and that is absolutely fucking awful, honestly. It's well documented. Um, it, if you Google, if you Google, uh, there there are many articles written in the, in the Edmonton Sun and Edmonton Journal about this story. That certainly speaks. But there is to, no link to the name of calling me an asshole in that story. <laughs> that makes sense. And like I like it just speaks to me. It just speaks to we've talked about it so much on this show about this. You're valued by the work you can provide. You're not. You're not. A, you're not a person. You're a laborer. Your your job is to sell your labor. And if we're gonna fucking bring you here to our country, you're gonna you're gonna feed the profit machine of someone else. You're gonna make shit money. And then when you're done, no matter how that happens, you can be gone now because that's not what you're here for. And that is honestly, well, but, but that's how Kenny thinks about everyone to me. In my eyes. But he and, actually said it. Remember when he was arguing minimum wage, he said people of limited social capital. Right, right. right? He, to him, human to capital, him, Maria, he called it. Human, human capital. capital. Yeah. To him, Maria had no human capital. She was quadriplegic. She was useless. So send her back like a broken piece of equipment you send back to Amazon and order a new one. I mean, that response, like, what does Thomas not understand about what temporary foreign worker means like it mm -hmm. like i mean my jaw dropped when you said it because it's just like the coldness of that is is what i can't understand has he ever had to be, to speak to this has he, has anyone ever asked him like hey man you signed that deportation letter how come has anyone ever no i don't i don't believe he was ever challenged on it and then he got shuffled out of that ministry into national defense i believe so that wasn't his portfolio anymore and, uh, and oddly enough, there was a reporting on the fact that he lost the federal uh, challenge and, and that the deportation orders were struck, uh, but he never commented on it. It was quite a spectacle over here. You know, we, we had some top-notch lawyers in Edmonton doing it. Um, the hearing happened here in Edmonton in Canada place. Uh, there had to be at least 150 uh, Filipinos and, and doctors and others that showed up for that hearing just to be there to, to morally support her. And, um, and the justices made the right decision. 
How much did you personally relate in the sense that um, you're an immigrant family yourself, you guys came from Poland and you escaped a tough situation there to come here and Canada was sort of this land of opportunity. What did it say to you about this, maybe the, the underlying stuff we don't talk about about this country where like maybe it wasn't quite as friendly to uh, people all of all walks of life kind of thing as, as you thought it was? Well, you know, a couple of things. Number one, because of the fact that it's a well-known fact that I'm an immigrant and I'm proud of it and, and, and our family were refugees, um, I ended up attracting a lot of refugee files into my constituency office. They would walk even to my office from outside of Edmonton because uh, they would think that somehow intuitively I will understand their situation, their plight better than perhaps someone uh, lucky enough to be born in Canada. Uh, that's not necessarily the case, but at least that, that assumption was there. And, and I always gladly took them on because, uh, you know, you can relate to what the first days in Canada like are like. You can relate what it's like not to speak English. You you can relate what it's like not to to go to Safeway and not even know what all those fancy cans are and read the labels. And, and you know, all the things that you and I now take for granted, every single step of your life at the beginning is a hardship because you, you don't speak the language, it's a new culture, um, especially when you have the, the acts of deportation hanging over you and you can't go back because there's nothing to go back to anymore. And, and you know, life can be uh, quite horrible. Uh, but, you know, no, I didn't get the feeling about Canada that it doesn't treat everybody equally. Uh, more so, uh, my, my sense was that, that Kenny simply isn't, that he is an anomaly, that that most Canadians and Canadian politicians aren't like Jason Kenney. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, what political stripe you're of. Normally, if, if, if another politician writes a letter and says, look, we have this really awful situation here, it, it's humanitarian uh, appeal in, in basis, you usually get a caring um, response and, and they lend you an ear to hear out the story. Um, in this case, it was writing like to some kind of, uh, you know, uh, oddly enough, because he considers himself a right winger. But that reminds me of, if, you know, what what kind of a response you would get out of Kremlin during USSR days. Some kind of operative would say, sorry, policy number 3.258 says, and we will implement it. It doesn't matter what, what the real circumstances behind it are, that there is a person that may possibly die or is sick or um, a sort of ideological application of arbitrary policies uh, that he himself designed. Um, you know, uh, so, so no, but, but what it ultimately told me that, that Canada, if you pursue it and if you go to court, uh, you, you will ultimately get a proper hearing and get, and get justice. And that's what you ultimately got. Mm -hmm. But you do have to be lucky enough to, to get enough people supporting you, right? I was going to say, you had it. was lucky. She had quite a lot of people that stepped up to take that on, right? She, Jeremy, go ahead. And, and doctors were risking their medical licenses because they were providing medical care to her uh, outside of the healthcare system, which, as you know, in Alberta and Canada is illegal. But they were willing to put their own careers on the line to save this person. All he had to do, Kenny, was to just not deport her and, and she, she would be just fine. You mentioned that Kenny is an anomaly here in in Canada but he's also never lost an election so how, how how do you reconcile that with this notion that 
he's anomalous? Um, well, a couple things. You know, uh, let's be honest. In the writing that he was writing in, um, you know, you put a donkey with a carrot in its mouth and, and run it as a conservative and odds are it's going to win. Uh, it, it's just it's just uh, how that writing votes. He, he picked that writing. He never lived in this writing. He, he, he was born in Ontario, raised in Saskatchewan and then moved back to Ontario. Uh, you know, they, they picked him uh, the most likely writing to win over and over again. I can tell you, um, I'm thinking of one particular cabinet minister in our PC government. Uh, every election, he would go to Mexico. He wouldn't be here during election time because he believed that the only thing he could contribute is to talk himself out of getting elected. So being absent was a guarantee to get elected. You got to uh, tell us who it was. No, I can't tell you. <laughs> just, a, just, just a great guy. But he had a right. He had a right. He says, why would I want to go and door knock and, and, and maybe say something that may get He's not the only one. I know. Whoever that I is. I know that I'm going to get elected for 100%, right? So so Kenny's writing was the same. Kenny, during elections, was traveling Canada trying to get other MPs elected. He never door knocked in his own writing, unless maybe for cameras for one day. Uh, he was out there getting, you know, lobbying for other candidates. Um, so, so that's how he got elected. Um, we also like winners. If, if we know that certain party is going to win, we tend to vote for those MPs because we want to have a government MP, a winning MP on our side and not uh, somebody who's in opposition. Uh, so there is that that mentality to it. And, and obviously, you know, with first past the post voting system, that, that's easier to to accomplish. Um, so and, and he had Harper always batting for him. You know, he had a lot of name prominence in Harper government. So, so getting elected for Kenny, um, you know, anybody in that writing would have gotten elected. He, he shouldn't be taking a lot of credit for that. Although I know He's being credited with the fact that he never lost an election. I mean, that's a that's a decent point, right? Because we do t- we have mentioned it a few times on the show that he, you know, he's never lost an election. I wrote in my column today that he came in, parachuted in here with this political prowess, right? That everybody thought of. But has he ever really been challenged? Has it, have they ever really put him in a in a in a riding where it would have been hard to win? Could he win in Toronto? Like these are the mm-hmm. kinds of things that like I'd like to see happen. I mean, certainly like prior to the last two years because i don't think that guy could win a federal election anywhere outside like he couldn't win an election of any kind anywhere outside of alberta after this and i'm not sure he could win a provincial i don't think so and i don't like i don't even think that he would necessarily be winning an election here right now so like this is where he's at right now but coming in the man had this sort of bravado and this like aura about him is like oh shit jason i mean christ when he even mentioned his intention like two years before it all went down i was like well there's your next premier it's very simple but think it happened with prentice don't don't recall uh uh you know i was a cabinet minister for many years and elected for many years and and when i was thinking about running for the leadership of of the pc party everybody was telling me about this prentice guy uh who may enter into the race and he was an alberta mp and believe it or not, I had no idea who Prentice was. And I was an Alberta MLA and a cabinet minister. And he was representing a riding in Alberta. Well, he never was in Alberta. He, just like Kenny, he was always in Ontario and had a place in Ontario. So you know what? I actually called uh, a Calgary Herald um, uh, editorialist, a journalist. Um, and I said, can you help me out here? Because everybody tells me about this guy who apparently walks on water by the name of Jim Prentice. Uh, who is this guy? 
Um, so same with Kenny, you know, uh, most Albertans knew nothing of Kenny other than what they were told about Kenny and what they saw on TV. It's not like he uh, belonged to any clubs and fundraised in them in, in, in Calgary. It's not like he, you know, was part of some kind of a neighborhood association. It's not like he raised his family over there. You, you know, uh, he didn't volunteer an hour of his time in Calgary for anything. Uh, he never owned a property in Calgary. Uh, you know, declared his mom's basement. So he, he was a parachuted candidate, right? Uh, but but because of the fact that Harper was popular, progress, uh, United Conservative, uh, no, not United, uh, Conservative Party of Canada was was relatively popular. Um, you know, he was riding riding that wave. And then, as I said earlier, in that riding, uh, would be you know it would be virtually impossible for uh, for a conservative candidate to lose. The biggest, the biggest uh, fights that they always had were to win the nomination, to get yourself on the ballot. That's where they spent a lot of money and, and campaigning resources when yeah. you had two, three, four, five conservatives running against each other to get nominated. But once you got nominated, time to go to Mexico. You know you're going to win. Well, and this is, this is Southern Alberta to a T. Uh, like first, I mean our federal riding, right? Glenn Motts is our current MP in, in Medicine Hat and opposition government. It won't matter. The guy's a backbencher for life guaranteed. Um, but he took over for Jim Hillier. And there are some people who will remember Jim Hillier because while he was running, he was known nationally. And this was when he was running out of, uh, I think he lived in Raymond, Alberta, south of Lethbridge. But he was he was running for this new riding or whatever. And he was this the man that wasn't there, he was labeled as, right? The no-show candidate. He didn't go to debates. He didn't do forums. He didn't door knock. He didn't talk to anyone at all. All he had to do was get the nomination and he was the next MP. Now, Nine months later or so, he died in his office in Ottawa, had a heart attack or something, really young guy too, so it was really strange. Yes, I recall. Uh, and then another nomination race happens. And what is it? Well, all you got to do is win the nomination. Like, that's literally it. And there's only, yeah. you know, what, 1,200 people, 1,300 people probably that vote for the nomination in our entire okay. riding down here. And so those people decide who the candidate is. And that candidate... Might as well be, like you said, you know, monkeys brushing his teeth or something like that. Doesn't matter because that's an MP for life if they want to be, right? But then Correct. we get underrepresented because you get these candidates in that are just forever going to be on the back bench. Like they're forever going to be in the background, not doing anything and not, not being a part of anything. And this is happening all over the province in Alberta. And where are we today? We have all kinds of provincial MLAs that, you know, aren't really in it for the right reasons and are kind of just sort of there and there to toe the line. And, oh, looks like, you know, they, they all ran off for Christmas holidays and stuff like that. Like, it's just people that aren't, if, if you don't have any sort of vetting process to get these people into the positions, you're going to end up with people like we have. Well, but that's just a pattern. That's, uh, you know, that's... Um... That's democracy for you, you know. Any anybody gets to get elected, and when when people decide that they're going to vote for only one political party, or or they figure that a certain party is going to win, so we might as well vote for their candidate so we can have a government member in our riding as opposed to an opposition member. Um, that's that's what you that you that's what you end up with, right? Absolutely. Do, do you know Kenny like personally beyond um, 
you know, him calling you an asshole. Um, oh, sure. Of course. You like, know, we, like, we, for a time, for a time, we had the very similar portfolios. When I was, uh, I was twice on two different occasions, Minister of Employment and Immigration. Uh, he was uh, in a ministry that was dealing with, uh, with employment and with immigration. So, so we had parallel ministries twice. So we met. Uh, he visited me in my legislature office once. Um, we, we had joint announcements together where we would be standing on the same stage uh, doing common announcements on some immigration policies. Uh, so sure, we, 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 we've met each other. We, we, we were never drink beer buddies. Uh, you know, I never met with him in a social setting. Uh, but but as minister to minister, uh, we we had contact. And what did you make of him? Just like as a person, he's a really nice guy. You know, he's very affable. You know, he laughs and he he jokes. Uh, um, comes across as a as a really nice guy, uh, without a doubt. Um, he just has um, you know very very strong ideological uh, beliefs. Politics is his entire life. You know, he doesn't have a life outside of politics. You know, you have friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, a cat or a dog. You belong to one or two charities. You do something for your community. You're passionate about something, uh, you know, whether it's recycling or saving animals. You know, you have things in your life. We, we tend to be multidimensional, all of us in our lives. Kenya has never had that. He, he doesn't have family. He doesn't really have friends because only his political group around him. But those are relationships of opportunity. They're not really friendship. He doesn't have any animals. He doesn't, he doesn't belong to any clubs, any groups. He doesn't volunteer for any, anything. The only, he has only one dimension, and that's politics. So he sees the world through a political lens. Um, but world can't be viewed that way. And that's why he very often misconceives situations because he always looks at the pro and, um, and against uh, sort of list of benefits from a political perspective, but there are other dimensions by which we you know, assess things. So he's a nice guy. He's a very friendly guy, good to laugh. Um, his uh, strong religious beliefs come across um, um, immediately. I'll tell you one quick anecdote. When he came to my office um, in, uh, in Alberta, uh, the first thing he said, he walked into my office with his staffers and he said to me in Polish, believe it or not, niech będzie pochwalony Jezus Chrystus, praise be given to Jesus Christ. And I looked at him and, and sort of made a face exactly like that <laughs> for two reasons. Number one, uh, you know, <laughs> separation of church and state since when do ministers, um, government to government, greet each other like that. But more specifically, uh, this particular saying uh, is a greeting that you give to priests or priests give to priests. It is not something that you would say to, to you know, a friend <laughs> or a family member or anybody. So, so somebody obviously taught him that and he thought that this would be a way to sort of break ice and, and you know and, and befriend me uh, religion is he's very pious um, um, jason um, is a is a proponent of, of the version of catholicism that to uh, catholics is known as pre-vatican II um, uh, catholicism in 1967 i believe it was uh, pope pius called a, a congregation of all the cardinals in the world and they modernized the catholic church uh, and, and, and made it more contemporary, more relevant to today's world. Um, and there are these stronghold conservative groups 
um, that continuously oppose it. And, and, and Kenny falls in that category. Uh, he believes in this very traditional uh, pre-Vatican II sort of version of, of, of Catholicism. And, 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 and he very often makes references to, to biblical phrases or to uh, philosophers, religious philosophers. And, um, you know, that's something at the forefront of his mind. He obviously spends a lot of time um, reading um, religious philosophy, not necessarily just scriptures, but, but philosophers' interpretations of religion. Is he Opus Dei? I've, I've heard that. Do, do you know? I don't know that? if he is. I don't know if he belongs to that group, but he definitely um, he definitely exhibits um, um, views that that would be succinct with Opus Dei. Opus Dei is, is pre-Vatican II uh, sort of interpretation of Catholicism, and and, and that's uh, uh, he is very much um, uh, very much um, um, I would say. Uh, enamored by uh, Byzantine uh, culture and, and their interpretation of Christianity. Um, as a matter of fact, I recently spoke to a, a, an ex-politician who was in a meeting uh, just a few weeks ago for, or maybe a couple of months ago where Kenny came in to speak with that group and he started talking about uh, Byzantine um, Catholicism and gave him a big lecture on it and they for a while, we're sort of confused. Why is our current premier giving us a lecture on, on, on Byzantine Catholicism? So, so that's just, you know, that's his passion. And there's nothing wrong with having passions as long as you have other ones and you can sort of blend it all into a wholesome picture. Um, in, in my opinion, uh, Kenny struggles because he doesn't have that wholesome picture. Now I'm going to move the show along because the last time we had you, we got talking and then we lost, we lost some things we wanted to ask you about. And so before we get to the the present day stuff from this week that you've been uh, sort of diving into, you promised us last time when we left that you would tell us the cell phone story. And uh, I mean, we've all been busted by some roaming charges before, you know, you go down and you forget. I just want to hear the story of it, how that happened, because I think once it gets through the grapevine, it's like, by the time you hear it, it's like, did you hear Thomas Lukasik ran up a $37 million cell phone bill or whatever so i kind of want to hear the story and uh i assume that there is a bit more of a easier explanation than people started to talk about when it happened so well you know if, first of all let's get it straight i didn't get caught with roaming charges uh, with the roaming charges it wasn't a mistake not that i did it on purpose but this was a consequence of, of what i had to do uh and and at that point in time how much will it cost wasn't really really a factor uh, so this is what happened. Um, I was on my personal time uh, invited by the Wiesenthal Society from New York. Those are the Nazi hunters uh, to go to Auschwitz in Poland and then go to Israel and on my own dime. And the reason they invited me, and it's an honor because I went with survivors, is because I've done some work for the Wiesenthal Society when the Museum of Human Rights was being built in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Uh, I, I helped uh, repatriate, or not repatriating, uh, moving, because they never were here in the first place, moving certain objects um, from uh, Warsaw Ghetto to that particular museum uh, so that we can have genuine exhibits there. And Wiesenthal Society was, was thankful for what I did, and they invited me to join them and survivors on this very meaningful a trip to Auschwitz and to um, and to Israel, to Palestine and to Tel Aviv. 
So that's what I was doing. I was on my personal time on my own coin. Uh, when I, when we finished the, the, the Auschwitz part and when I was at the airport in Warsaw, awaiting my flight with the entire group to, uh, to Israel, uh, my phone rang. And keep in mind, there's a ten, eight hour time difference between Poland and, um, and uh, Alberta. And uh, there was a cabinet minister, a female rookie cabinet minister that called me uh, a bizarre phone call says, uh, Thomas, I don't know who to call. I called the premier um, and I called the whip. The premier is not answering the phone. Uh, this is now nighttime in, in Canada around midnight, one o'clock in the morning. Um, I am in trouble. There's pounding on my door. Um, police is after me. Um, uh, and there's somebody pounding on the door saying, police, police, uh, what should I do? And I said, what did you do? So I didn't do anything, but I'm scared to open the door. I said, is it police? She says, I don't know if it's police, but I'm in trouble and, and, and someone's pounding on the door. And I said, well, call legislative security and call police. And she says, well, I don't know if it is police. And then the phone goes silent. She hangs it up or, or, the, or the phone call gets caught. So I tried to call her back and back and back and I can't get through to her. She doesn't answer the phone. And I could hear on the phone, there was, there was pounding on the door. Somebody was just pounding on the door. Um, so what do I do? So I pick up a phone and I call the premier's chief of staff, Farouk Adatia, it was his name. And I said, Farouk, something happened. I, I am about to board a plane for Israel. Uh, we have a cabinet minister. She, she was in distress. She was just freaking out, but she was whispering into the phone, there's pounding on her door. I, I couldn't even ascertain where she was, what house she was in. Uh, Farouk said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. So I boarded the plane, few hour flight to uh, Israel. The moment I got off the plane, uh, get back to Farouk Kadatia, she's missing. She's nowhere to be found. Uh, security is looking for her. They called the police, they can't find her. They have no idea where she is. So what happened was we, we checked into a hotel and when we discuss matters that are of importance, you don't use Wi-Fi, uh, especially hotel Wi-Fi uh, in a foreign country. So I was running my conferences and, and telephone calls via regular cell signal um, out, of, out of Israel. And my government phone, which you always have to have on you uh, when, when you're... Unless you're Taney Yao. Yeah, well, you always have to have on you because you never know when a streamer is going to call you, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so... Uh, so we started having video conferences, um, trying to find out where she is, what's going on. Documents were being sent back and forth because we had some personal information on her, where she lives, what her register address is. Then we tied in the Solicitor General's office, the law enforcement, to find out where she is. So there was a full-on search for this uh, young uh, female cabinet minister. And, uh, and that lasted for about a day and a half. Uh, while I was in Israel, we were on almost continuously trying to figure out what's going on. You know, we have a cabinet minister missing, and we didn't want to release that to media because we had no idea what you know what the issue is. Um, finally, she surfaced. Um, as it turns out, it was police. She was arrested uh, and charged. I I don't know uh, what the outcome of it was, but uh, when she appeared in front of courts, uh, the courts put a ban on publication. Uh, with a whole bunch of other restrictions. So until today, cannot mention who she was. Um, and, and, and we found out where she was. But for a good 36 hours, we had a missing cabinet minister 
who we thought maybe was killed, maybe, you know, who knows? You just don't know uh, what's going on. And that's what all these video conferences were. And that is why, you know, anybody with a with half a brain would know that in a matter of 24 hours, you cannot rack up $20,000 worth of billing unless you are live video conferencing and, and sending a whole bunch of documents back and forth. And that's, that's exactly what happened. So what happened almost shortly thereafter, and, and uh, for instance, maybe now we can figure out, uh, two cabinet ministers were turfed out of cabinet. And I uh, assumed the Ministry of Advanced Education very quickly uh, in the middle of a budget and, and one more cabinet minister was removed. So there was a shuffle of the cabinet ministers. But it was a very unfortunate, I tell you, it was a pretty scary situation where uh, we get a phone call like that and, and, and this is what happens. And, and that was revealed in court. It's, it's very well documented. But obviously for political reasons, you know, uh, trolls will bring up the bill. But so just to we, say, we like, tried oh, to deal with Talis after. We tried to deal with Talis and tried to diminish that bill a little, but there's just no way. It rightfully so, Talis charged us for it. Those were legitimate charges. Sure. Yeah, and I think Scott and I are, are both of the position uh, with regards to expenses. I, I mean, who cares? I mean, it's so minuscule on... Well, look, like $20,000. Kenny, Kenny just lost $1.5 billion on a, on a pipeline. I put out a tweet. You know, my cell phone is, is not even a rounding error. Uh, when you look at the money, you know, he's right. a $30 million war room, you know, uh, uh, 1.6 billion dollar accounting error, accounting error, you know, <laughs> so this, 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 this $20,000 cell phone, it's not that it's, it's, it's little, it's, it's a lot of taxpayers money, but this was spent on legitimate government business. And, and frankly, you know, thank God we found her because well, uh, absolutely. who knows what could have happened. Now, at the time, I imagine that, you know, at the end of the day, you didn't care because the situation was such a uh, an emergency and a personal thing that you were inclined to help and, and who cares about the follow. But because of the publication ban and because the, the story wasn't really getting out, did you feel that like you were getting a bad rap? Like, oh, I, sure. Oh, and sure, like you weren't twice. one of the you weren't one of the cabinet ministers that were removed, right? You were moved to a new no, like no. you you promoted or whatever. So no, were, I was, were people bat mad about I that? I assumed or? so. Two cabinet ministers were removed. One because of this, and and one on a totally unrelated matter. And I assumed the portfolio of the one that was removed on a totally unrelated matter, advanced education and enterprise. I assumed in addition to deputy premier. Um, well, yeah, because media grabbed onto it almost immediately, right. and and I'm in a situation that I can't tell the story of that female cabinet minister because it's it's banned by, by a court order. There's a publication ban, so I sort of had to take it on the chin. Say, yeah, I racked up, and the, when reporters were asking me how did you do that, I couldn't tell them. All I could tell them is I was dealing with very important, urgent government business. Um, you know, that's all I could I could say at that point in time. Uh, number one, number two, what happened was when I was running for. Uh, uh, when I was running for leadership of the PC party, um, uh, 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 an, uh, an MLA, uh, now deceased, he died in a, in a horrible um, highway accident, um, got a hold of that bill and started uh, um, walking it around to a whole bunch of opposition parties and others saying, here, we got some goods on Lukasik, here is his cell bill. Um, that's Emmett Buller. Um, uh, you know, he got a hold of uh, that bill, um, and uh, 
and was was trying to use it against me because he was on Jim Prentice's uh, leadership campaign. So that bill resurfaced during the leadership uh, race. Later, the the um, um, the privacy commissioner ruled that the release of that bill was illegal. That bill should never have been released. But you know, too little, too late. Prentice and Mueller yeah. used it against me already. You know? It's like when you tell a jury to ignore what they just heard, you know, it's like, oh, OK, exactly. well, we'll just strike that from our record that's in our brain forever. Right. Like the voters and they and they knew that I can't speak to it because of the court. court right. So it was it was a dirty pool um, politics. But it, I mean, such is life in politics. Right. And I think that you, uh, Unfortunately. you know, you at least you at least knew that while you did it and 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 sure. and were never, you know. I don't know. You, you took it like a champ, I think. So, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't disillusioned. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now we don't have for a whole lot longer, but we really wanted to talk today because this week you got onto something and, and I'm going to preface this by saying that with everything going on in Alberta, it is very hard to, to catch everything, you know? And I think, um, one of the things that gets sort of lost in the shuffle with this United Conservative government is the just sort of unabashed cronyism that goes on and, and the favors among friends. And, and we've all heard Denton's law firm a, bills, a bazillion times since Kenny got in and there's all these little things. And this week you got onto a, a certain thing about a, a consulting group called or a lobbying group called Wellington Advocacy. And that group is actually made up or owned by former political staffers of Jason Kenney, correct? Right. And as the story goes, essentially, this company has been lobbying on behalf of other companies such as TELUS, such as um, the auto insurance company, right? Um, we, We think maybe even WestJet, right? So they then lobby the Kenny government on behalf of these companies. And there seems to be this sort of interweb of like, it's all just sort of a charade. Can you give us the, the synopsis of, of what's going on here and, and, and try to layman terms it for our listeners a little bit and for our, your hosts here. Like this kind of stuff is where sometimes I get a little confused myself as to just sort of how it all works. So I'll let you go. Yeah, it's a bit of an inside baseball, and unless you're really into this, uh, don't blame yourself if, if, if you don't follow it or, or didn't know about it or, or you know find it difficult to grasp. That's just uh, the way it is. So let's premise this. Alberta is the only province where consulting firms are allowed to charge for their success. So in all other provinces, what that means is that you charge an hourly fee or say, I'm going to charge you uh, $100,000. And then whether you succeed or not, that's what the fee is. In Alberta, the act that governs lobbyists says that uh, our lobbyists are allowed to charge a base fee, but then the bonus if they succeed. So, so that is very important to know because uh, if, if, if a lobbying company is successful in achieving what they were lobbying for, they get this big pile of money at the end. That's often way bigger than their regular fees, right? The second thing is that uh, there's nothing wrong with lobbying. Uh, business often doesn't understand how government works, so they hire people that understand how government works, and, and, and they sort of push their agenda. Uh, everybody does it. That, that's, that, that's fine. But I can tell you that if, if you and I uh, where to start a lobbyist group today, 
uh, it would be very difficult for us to get clients. You, we would be knocking on many doors and, and try to sell our credentials and how we can help you. And, and, and then you get these you know, little files here and there and you scratch a living. Many retired politicians become lobbyists and, and most of them are not very successful at it. Um, it. It simply doesn't pay that well. What you're seeing with Wellington Consulting is, 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 is an anomaly and you have to ask yourself why on so many fronts. Number one, uh, this Wellington Consulting is a firm that was put in place just before the last provincial election uh, by Denton's law firm. Now Denton's we hear a lot about because our minister, ex-minister of justice, Schweitzer, was a partner in Denton's. Uh, the fellow who's uh, investigating those uh, uh, foreign enemies of oil uh, is from Denton's. Denton's is a player in Kenyan government. They register a, a, a lobbyist group called Wellington Consultancy, which is made up exclusively of Kenny staffers, both from Ottawa and from his office here in Alberta and his campaign manager. Uh, what's interesting is that they actually incorporated that company uh, before the election, just before the election. And then after the election, when Kenny won and became the premier, all these people left their respective offices in working for Kenny and started working for this already incorporated Wellington consultancy, but immediately obtained massive Canadian clients, uh, clients that most consulting firms that have been around for 50 years would wish to have. Um, they uh, obtained TELUS as a client. They obtained Insurance Bureau of Canada as a client. Uh, I understand that the enterprise group that, that owns the Oilers uh, is their client. And, uh, and now we learn also that the company who wants to buy from Kenny, uh, Alberta um, uh, corporate registries and land titles office also is represented by this company. So these guys just hang up, they're strangled and all of a sudden they get the best of the best uh, of clients. But what, what also is interesting is that they have a pretty damn good batting average. Everything they can lobby for happens just miraculously happens so they're they batting for, well, so they're they're right now they're batting 100 so insurance bureau of canada wants to strip albertans of the ability to sue for personal injury after a car accident and and they wanted to cap all soft tissue injuries boom um, gets done telus wants to have babylon uh, where uh, where you don't have to go to a doctor but you can use a telus uh, a system, an app to see a, some foreign doctor and therefore bypass Alberta doctors, boom, done. Um, uh, you know, and the sort of list goes on and on. So you have oh, to ask yeah. yourself, are, are they lobbying and, and they are so amazingly effective that they convince the premier every time to go that way? Right. Or are they lobbying for something that was going to happen anyway? And this is simply their way of cashing in on, um, on, on Kenny changing policies. Well, and that's exactly what I was just going to say, right? Like, you can look at this two ways. So is this company being snatched up by all the companies that want to lobby the government for something that they want to make sure they have the most success? And so they're going after somebody that they know knows Kenny really well. Or is Kenny already, is the Kenny government just making what happen what they want to happen like we're going to develop this babylon app with telus telus is going to do this for us and then you go and lobby us on behalf of them kind of thing and that's kind of the accusation we're we're going with is that right 
Well, you know, it wouldn't be unreasonable to draw that conclusion. You know, it's obvious that, you know, all consulting firms are on an Easter egg hunt, except there is one that knows, has a map of where all the eggs have been hidden. Uh, so they just go straight directly and they pick out the eggs out of every bush. They know exactly where they are. Th this is exactly what's happening over here. Um, nobody is so um, effective um, in, uh, on lobbying on such major issues that, you know, th this is not tweaks to policy. Th these are major policy shifts uh, and, and, and they tend to, you know, achieve what they want. Um, and, you know, you have staffers in premier's office and they incorporate a company before they even leave the premier's office, which, which first of all, makes you wonder why is it that premier staffers are incorporating a lobbyist company while they're still working for the premier. And then literally within weeks after they have all these major clients, you know, you would have to be very effective to acquire all these clients after you left the premier's office I would tend to suggest to you that these clients were acquired while they were still in the premier's office because it takes years to acquire clients like that and they managed to get them all within a matter of weeks. Um, and, and yet they laid the groundwork, they already incorporate the company before they leave the office. So, you know what, it, it reeks. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you can try to sort of maybe there isn't a, um, you know, the level of evidence that you can, that you can get a prosecution in court, but Albertans would have to be really naive to believe uh, that this is on the up and up. Well, and I mean, those kinds of things are just adding up at this point, right? Like, is this sure yet another thing on the pile of like, this doesn't look very good, you know? And it's whether it's like, it started from the beginning. I mean, Kripes, he wasn't, he's never spent a day as the premier of Alberta without a scandal over his head. It's just how much the media or whatever wants to put any attention to it. But I mean, we're, you know, I feel like as a whole, we glossed over the election fraud stuff. I think we glossed over the firing of the elections commissioner. I think we've glossed over uh, all the crap with Steve Allen, like, like he's right for, and this Denton's firm and can, all this. Can, Go ahead. Can we talk about that report for a second that came out? Which one? Mm -hmm. the, the the one that reads like the protocols of the elders of Zion, but it's about environmentalists. Because <laughs> I know, Thomas, you've done, um, you know, a lot of work on, uh, you know, exposing the far right and, uh, you know, sort of working with the Jewish community. Do you, do you get that sense when you read excerpts from it that there are some, some anti-Semitic uh, undertones there? Because I certainly do. It's a bizarre report. It's a way of pumping money into firms that have been pivotal uh, in supporting your, your, your election bids and, and that are supporting you on many different fronts. You know, th th this is nothing else than, than pumping money into Mr. Allen's pockets. Uh, who is one of the bigger donors uh, to uh, Schweitzer and, and is with, with Denton uh, as, a, as an associate. Uh, you know, the, the, the fact is that he, he's been sent on a, on a ghost chase. Uh, there's nothing to be found. He keeps getting extensions because he's he not going to find, find it anything. in Palm Springs. Well, he's in Palm Springs, but you know, every time he comes back, he says, sorry, I can't find anything. So instead of taking that as a conclusion, you know, that there isn't anything, they say, oh, no, 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 all you need is more money and more time and you will find it. 
you know, what, what a hell of a job uh, to have. You know, what's interesting, what Albertans should find interesting is that every previous government, when, when you had these type of um, committees and commissions, usually MLAs would be chairing them or at least sit on them. Uh, and then you would bring in experts from, from the outside uh, to, to, to supplement the committee. Notice that uh, UCP MLAs are not appointed to anything. Uh, they don't play a role at all in any of these committees. It is all external people who have been key um, during during the uh, leadership race and, and, and during the election. Uh, I'm shocked that UCP MLAs are not saying, hey boss, why am I here as an MLA, as a backbencher? I should be sitting on those committees and, uh, and contributing to it. I don't know what Mr. Allen's expertise is on investigating and looking for international I do. Uh, espionage. Fucking other nothing. Than, <laughs> that's right. So, you know, it, 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 it's, it's bizarre. But so these lobbyist groups that are sort of lobbying for things that are already destined to happen, looking for things that don't exist, is just a way of pumping money. Uh, out of government uh, into into the hands of those whom, whom Kenya obviously feels he's somehow indebted to. Well, I, I'm talking specifically about that report that was released last week or two weeks ago from that uh, person in Britain. And mm -hmm. it mentions like George Soros like five times in his Open yeah. Society Foundation like a dozen times. And it just talks about this international conspiracy um of environmentalists the media academia but you know but listen to, it's bizarre but that's exactly what kenny believes uh, you know i released on facebook and on twitter once uh, a very lengthy speech that kenny delivered a number of years ago uh to a church crowd and somebody thank god videotaped it and that's where where he talks about the, this international conspiracy of rockefellers and others uh, who are somehow financially underpinning this deep state uh, that 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 is that is sort of undoing our it's 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 totally cooking many crazy stuff. But Kenny believes in 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 this sort of international conspiracy of of leftist billionaires that are trying to undo our society and their oxymoronic statements. Yeah, but 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 you know what? Uh, it sells that's obviously. That's his. Yeah, that's his. Well, you know, Rockefellers. And well, Rock no, Charles I I realize that, but it's just that makes me laugh. So. Well, yeah, I mean, Soros <laughs> isn't a left winger. He's a liberal. Like, in you know, I I don't think he's above reproach at all. But I don't think you're you gonna know. find too many uh, anti-capitalistic billionaires but that's just me but this wellington this wellington group is something that that i think albertans and the ethics commissioner should be keeping a close eye on uh because it's definitely it's definitely problematic do you have any faith at all in the ethics commissioner office at this point i mean i don't and i'm uh, like i'm a member of the media and so i'm uh, like you know Sometimes I try to be unbiased, but obviously I don't stay that way. But like every single thing that comes that comes in front of her in the last two years has just been like, well, nothing wrong there. And it's like, come on. Yeah, you know when I when I first spent time with Madame Trussler, she's a, she's a retired Court of Queen's Bench justice, uh, quite an accomplished jurist. Um, I had nothing but respect uh, for her ability to carry out this job, and, and I, actually I said that publicly in the media that. For a first time, we have someone who has the competence of being an ethics commissioner because we had a whole bunch of political appointees prior, appointed by our government, um, who arguably didn't have 
um, the, the the wherewithal to 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 carry out this job. She definitely did because she she is an accomplished jurist. But I have to tell you, as I'm watching her, not decisions, but her absence of decisions. She simply chooses not to make the decisions right. on, or or she never initiates her own uh, reviews because as an ethics commissioner, she doesn't have to have a complaint. She should be watching the media what goes on and they initiate her own uh, review. She hasn't. Um, that's to me, that's problematic. And I know some are trying to tie her husband into it because he is one of the big donors to Jason Kenny. He and his partners uh, in his firm, uh, all of his partners in the, in the firm. I like to give her a benefit of doubt that that is not affecting her her judgment. But I I, I think um, whether that she if- needs to be she needs to become more activist. She needs to. Uh, fulfill the mandate that that is given to her in the act, and and when you have glaring issues like like this Wellington, for example, uh, when you have the Premier Kenny flying to London, England, with uh, with one staffer, with no proper protocol, with no minutes recorded, and refusing to tell us whom he met with in London, and 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 what was this all about? Was he making private business, this, or, or on taxpayer dollars using his office? Those are cases that she should say, well, no, 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 no. I have to investigate this right. on my own initiative. Like, I trust your your judgment on who she is. And you, if you know her personally, like I, you know, that's wonderful. And I, but to me, whether she's able to sneak into the other room and, and be unbiased is irrelevant. If your husband is the is a massive donor to the current government, your wife can't be the ethics commissioner. Like it's that simple to me. Like if she wants to it's be a, the ethics commissioner, then he can't concern. be a donor. And if he wants to be a donor, then she can't be the ethics commissioner. And to ask people to look be to look past that obvious conflict of interest, interest in my eyes, that is like the definition of it. Yeah. How can you ask Albertans to look past that? Especially yeah. when, like you're saying. We have this problematic scenario now where not only is she not ruling on certain things in a way that you might think at least once in a while there'd be a ruling. She's not even starting reviews or not even making a case for certain things. I mean, that's so I think it's fair to say. Yeah, it's fair to say um, that it would be reasonable. What's in law called a reasonable apprehension of bias. Okay, uh, and, and the test for that is what would uh, a reasonably informed Albertan looking at the situation from outside conclude? And, and I think a reasonable Albertan, when they look at the pattern of non-decisions and they look at the fact that her husband and his partners were heavily donating to Jason Kenney campaigns, uh, would say, I don't think she is as objective as she should be. Now, whether that is true, and you can point out cases where she you know, was biased or not, I don't know, but I think a reasonable apprehension of bias can be raised. Having said that, I have to tell you, she's a, she, she uh, she's the best by way of qualifications mm-hmm. commissioner we probably ever had, but she has that hanging over her head. Well, and I think you know as well as anyone that perception is reality, especially when you're yes. talking about the public, right? Now, before we let you go today, because we've, I know you uh, only had about an hour today, but I wanted, we were talking, while we were talking about this Wellington stuff and this lobbying stuff, I mean, you've been around government a really long time. You know, you, you had several, pre- you worked for several premiers, worked with several premiers, you've, you've seen it all. 
have you ever seen anything like this? And I mean, because to me, cronyism isn't invented by Jason Kenney. This is something that governments on both sides of the aisle, so to speak, have been guilty of in the past. We can talk about Trudeau cronyism for an, an entire hour, I'm absolutely sure, right? But when you were in the progressive conservative governments, like, were there ever times where you kind of were like, Jesus, you guys, like, this doesn't look good, or the optics of this is looking like we're looking bad here, crony cronyism. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. You know, this is not to say that we didn't have cronyism. Uh, some of it is, is simply cronyism, and, that, and that's all you can say. Some of it has some merit behind it. You know, you, you tend to give work to people you trust and people you know. You know, if I know you and I know you're a, a decent guy and, and, and I know your work ethic and I know you're going to get the job done, I'm more likely to give it to you than someone I never met and I have no idea what the hell they're going to do, right? right. So, so that is what often leads to cronyism because then people you know, you trust, get more work than the people you don't know and perhaps don't trust as much. So, so that's that's part of it. And, and to me, I, I think most Albertans would understand that aspect of it. But when you start giving work to people who simply have no abilities to carry out this work, have no past experience related to this work, um, and, and over and over and over again provide you with, with uh, substandard product at the end, and you still keep giving them jobs, well, that's, you know, that's, that's when it really becomes problematic. Um, so I will not whitewash our own previous government. I can tell you that, that we were guilty of some level of cronyism. There's no doubt about it, but so was NDP, uh, you know, guys like Gil McGowan and others, all of a sudden were getting jobs and contracts because that's whom Rachel Notley knew and that's whom she trusted and they were like-minded. So she would obviously feed more work to them. Uh, she would never call me and say, Hey, Thomas, I need you to do a job. Um, just the way life is. Sure. The difference between now and Rachel and our government is, is, is the volume of it. Like he, he's pumping work out the door like on an unprecedented rate. And the second part is, um, is um, uh, not only volume, but uh, how he doesn't involve his own caucus uh, and the elected officials are sort of relegated to, 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 to no status. Kenny believes, and he actually said that a number of occasions, that he believes in politics of momentum. If you dump enough stuff on people, they won't be able to keep track of it anymore. And it generates its own momentum. Uh, that's how you affect change. If you do it slowly, people will question you on every move, analyze your every move, and that slows you down. But if you, if you make people drink out of a, a fire hydrant, uh, they, they will be just gulping. They won't even know what's going on. And, and, and it's just amazing how much stuff you can push through. That's exactly what he's doing right now. Uh, so you see all these changes where media uh, can't even keep up with this stuff, where average readers can, you know, there's a scandal after scandal, as you say. We, we forget the yesterday's scandal. It's always the scandal of the day. Right. Um, and, and he tends to be relatively successful at it. So you know, my cell, cell phone bill was, was a big deal, apparently. You know, Alison Redford's Sky Palace, that Sky Palace cost $175,000. $175,000. And as wrong as she was in the way she went about it, there actually was a good business case for it, but she, right. she just screwed it all up. 
but $175,000, you, you'd be able to build thousands of them for the $1.5 billion he just pissed away in a pipeline uh, you know, for, for, for the contract that he puts out. Look at it. He, he appoints James Rajat, uh, one of his uh, uh, colleague MPs from Ottawa, uh, to represent Alberta and Washington for the last two years. And if you read the articles of the last two years, James Rajat was supposed to convince all of Washington um, about pipelines and, and Alberta energy. Well, two years later, we have the decision we have from Biden. What was Rajat doing over there for the last two years? He appoints Dave Rodney to go to Houston, Houston, uh, Texas, and, and, and to lobby them on pipelines over there. Well, he's getting paid $170,000 or $80,000 a year. He hasn't even gone to Houston once already yet. And he's been appointed to the job for now, I think, almost a year. Uh, so what is David Rodney doing? Um, you know, those jobs are being pumped out, but, but there is, you know, there is zero results on those jobs. Uh, War Room. You know, Tom Olson, nice guy if you want to go having beers with. But you know what he does for a living? He's a rock star. He plays guitar in a band. That, that's his background. Right. Uh, he, are they any good? Uh, well, he wrote for Calgary. I don't know. I never listened to his music, but he, he's a really nice guy. He, he wrote for Calgary Herald uh -huh. um, editorials. And then uh, Ed Stelmack hired him to be a press secretary for a short period of time. He was let go of in the legislature. And then he ran as a candidate for UCP. And now he's in charge of a $30 million a year uh, something or other yeah uh, we don't we don't know what, what they do they do we don't know <laughs> we do have no idea this? what they do someone i yes. forget who pointed it out on twitter they haven't said anything about keystone no. xl i think maybe that's their Chris job Turner. um if rachel harder isn't she a conservative mp yeah from lethbridge she yesterday came out and said that the keystone cancellation is on trudeau like, yeah, shouldn't I mean, it's just amazing. Well, it's just amazing. Like, M Michaela Glasgow, our MLA from Brooks Medicine Hat here, she also wrote a column this week saying that KXL is on Trudeau. Like, hurry up and fix this, fucking feds. Anyways, well, I just that's, think it's no, that's, that's $30 million. Like that's $30 million to, to people who really have no qualifications whatsoever. And, you know, you want to say to them, you had only one job. Uh, and, and, and you didn't do it. And, and that's $30 million per year. This is not a one-time injection, right? Um, so, but Albertans sort of forget about it because there is so much of it going on. The question is, um, is there some kind of a memory that we as Albertans have in the back of our mind that this is all accumulating and come election time, we're going to remember all that? Or is he going to sprinkle some benefits and dollars on Albertans, you know, in the last few months of before the next election? He, and we'll see. He's got a hill to climb in the next two years to get people back on his side. But I, we both know he's going to try. I hate to harp on the uh, go back to the Sky Palace thing, but it just it fucking boggles my mind. Like Alison Redford got basically her career ended over this thing. And she basically was doing something to have a place to live and have her daughter there and things like this. And I don't see why there's a big deal that the premier has a place to stay. That's pretty nice in downtown Edmonton. It's the goddamn premier. But anyway, she got her, her career ends over this thing. Elburns never forgive her. That sky palace cost $19,000 less than one year of a Matt Wolf. 
So if you don't think that there's misogyny involved in how Alison Redford went down, then like we're on a different page. That's just oh, me, sure, the sure there is. And, and oddly enough, you know, her flights with her daughter, um, you know, th- those were, were a problem. The Sky Palace, th- th- this shows you, yes, misogyny definitely is involved. Uh, female politicians are treated much differently than male politicians. There's just, there's no argument on that. Uh, but this was also an example of how you can do the right thing the wrong way and get hung for it. Sure. I can tell you that the, the thinking behind it was, and, and, and uh, there was only two elected officials involved in it. It was, uh, it was Alison Redford and the Minister of Infrastructure, who later became, by the way, um, Rick McIver, who is now a cabinet minister with, uh, with Kenny. You know, he knows everything about this guy, Palace. Dr. But, no from Calgary. Dr. No. Yeah. But, but the thinking was this, that uh, every MLA who lives outside of uh, uh, Edmonton gets uh, an allowance for accommodation in Edmonton. That's, uh, they claim that. So they, many of them rent apartments in Edmonton or, or buy a condo and apply it towards the mortgage. But they get some, I don't know, $1,500, $1,600 a month uh, for that. Well, Alison Redford was also getting that for an apartment. She was renting an apartment a walking distance away from, from the legislature. Her thinking was that instead of claiming that $1,600 a month for the next number of years, why don't we just build a government-owned apartment and then I will not claim my allowance, my $1,600 every month. This will pay it off and then it will be in posterity for all the subsequent premiers. And it was attached by tunnels because it's it's the federal building to legislatures, so security costs would be lower and then she wouldn't charge that that, that allowance. the way she did it was wrong. She did it sort of quietly. She wasn't open about it. She never explained the business case, and she got she got hung for it. Um, but but again, you know, it, it tells you the comparison. At the end of the day, the addition uh, of the Sky Palace to the already renovated building was one hundred seventy five thousand dollars, and we're talking here about uh, thirty million for a war room, one point five billion. Uh, for Excel, uh, 1.6 billion of unaccounted expenditures that the Auditor General can't even find. Um, but the difference is this: people can understand $20,000 cell bill. It's a number that that we can comprehend. Nobody knows what $1.6 billion is. Right. Um, it's it sort of it, it, our eyes glaze over when we hear those numbers, right? And you hear those numbers all the time, like they're just thrown around all the time. So like this is one of my points that I often make to people like it isn't about the money. It's that thing like you didn't. Oh, this elite premier is going to build herself a palace. That's bullshit. How much does it cost? I don't care. That's not that's not right. Yeah. And it's the same and thing. They called it a palace, and and it, it, right, you know what? I I don't know if it was a palace. It was a one bedroom and a, and a living room and a bathroom. That's what it really was. Um, was it wrong? The way she the way she sold it was definitely wrong, and and I think she paid a price bigger than than you know in comparison what Kenny should pay for what he's doing. Um, but uh, that's you know again that's that's but, sort of politics, you know, and Kenny knows that. That again, this is water hydrant. If you make people drink out of a wire water hydrant, they'll go. One point six billion dollars. Uh, that's fine. Well, and one point. 
I don't see, I mean, maybe this is on the NDP right now and, and, and uh, Big Red Machine pointed that out on Twitter to me or the other yesterday, I think, you know, like they're, they're kind of allowing Kenny to maybe take the narrative here. But if you notice, Kenny isn't really taking a lot of heat for this $1.5 billion. It has nothing to do with that. It's just Alberta's under attack for our oil again. Not again. Like everybody hates, everybody's after our oil. Well, like the $1.6 billion accounting error Nobody cared. Nobody cared. And so my point's always the same. Like the money doesn't matter to people until it's that subject that they want to talk about. Oh, we're going to talk about debt. Oh, debt's really bad or deficit's really bad. They don't actually care. It's the, it's the things like, oh, we're talking about oil now, or, oh, we're talking about elitism or whatever that get people out of their chair and get people pissed off. Because if you really looked, if you really cared about money, Albertans would spend a lot more time talking about the fact that if you added all up these things that we're talking about, the 1.5 billion here, the 1.5 billion here, it's approaching $20 billion over the last year and a bit that has just been squandered away, whether it be in like, corporate tax giveaways or or whatever that's your budget of alberta health that's your correct. entire budget of alberta health uh no you, you are you're 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 correct on that but uh but but we sort of don't think that way and, and kenny you know another strategy that's very successful that kenny has is that as long as people as long as he wages wars and people support him in wars uh, then he will do it so, you know, Trump did that, you know, he mm-hmm. lost the election in every court, in every appeal. Uh, and yet he, he kept telling people, we're going to fight this, we're going to fight this. And while doing so, he was actually fundraising for the fight. Notice what Kenny did. The moment uh, um, Keystone XL was canceled uh, and we lost $1.5 billion, he sent out a fundraiser letter to all the UCP on his uh, email list and said, please donate $50 because we're going to fight Excel. Well, first of all, uh, it isn't the UCP party that needs the money for the fight. It will be government of Alberta fighting. And second of all, there's nothing to fight. The decision has been really made and, and all jurists are telling you that there is really not much that we can possibly appeal. But he turned it into a fundraiser event, just like Trump did the loss of his election. You know, we're going to fight it. So let's let's fundraise. So since sounds like the that rebel. decision, well, since that decision, he already sent out because I receive his emails personally. Sure. Uh, he sent out two fundraising letters already on on uh, Keystone XL. But I think his supporters are more about the fight than they actually are about getting the pipeline. Because when you think about it, we know that when, when President Barack Obama uh, canceled the pipeline, it was very important to him to cancel this pipeline. President Joe Biden was then his vice president. So we knew that that in that administration, the president and the vice president were in agreement, whether we agree it with, with it or not, that the pipeline should not go ahead. And then Trump came along and he overrode that decision and allowed for construction of the, of the pipeline. But now we have Biden running against Trump. When you look at any polling uh, over the last probably year and a half, it was showing that the odds of Trump getting reelected were not that good. So now you have Biden campaigning for the last two years on on scrapping the pipeline. Why would you as a premier uh, not take a a smart strategic position? First of all, don't have your cabinet ministers campaign for Trump and further agitate Biden's camp. 
Um, number one. Number two, don't go to Washington prayer breakfast and take pictures with Ted Cruz and, and endorse the Republican Party and Trump as a premier of Alberta when you know that the likelihood of your guy winning is not that great. And when Biden comes in, he will scrap the pipeline. And then as recently as yesterday, when, when you're asking Trudeau to have a good conversation with Biden and hopefully diplomatically convince him to change his mind on it, don't go on Fox television and slap Biden uh, and, and call him an insult to Canada-US relationships while you're asking Trump to, to, to politically and diplomatically appease Biden and, and hopefully to change the decision. You know, it, it, it almost shows that it is in Kenny's best interest that the pipeline doesn't get approved because then he has something to fight for and that exactly. is fundraising for him. Another yeah. grievance to uh, add to his... Well, he's one. right. Like in two stories yesterday, we had Dean Bennett wrote them both from Canadian Press. One is, uh, you know, uh, Trudeau is going to have this chat with Biden or whatever. We're going to just going to see what he can do. Meanwhile, Kenny's off the background going, by the way, we want direct compensation from the U.S. If this doesn't go through, you're going to put economic sanctions on these guys. Yeah, we're going to fucking start a trade war with the United States in the first goddamn two weeks of a new presidency. That makes a lot of sense, you jackass. And so and put yourself and put yourself in Trudeau's position. So you're having this first phone call with 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 President Biden. Number one, you congratulate him. Uh, number two, um, there are so many things on the agenda. Uh, NAFTA was scrapped and renegotiated. There's so many loose ends on that one. Uh, NATO is probably as fragile as it has as ever, ever been. Yeah. Um, in, we, have a, we have a problem. We signed a, a free trade agreement with the European Union. It knows that's CETA. Uh, Americans aren't part of it. How do we tie in the trade between Europe and, and, uh, and, and Canada and the United States? Uh, our relations, U.S. relations with the European Union are very fragile. We have the issue with, with Russia and China raising its head. Uh, there are so many issues that we now have to sort of reestablish uh, with President Biden and, and talk about. And yes, and Keystone is, is one of them. Uh, but what do you say to, to uh, President Biden when you have one of your premiers now A, campaigning against him and B, beaking him off on, on Fox? I can tell you what I would tell Biden. I would say, look, let's work on this. Uh, let's see, maybe we can find some common ground. Let's put some kind of a pathway. But by the way, uh, please disregard one of our premiers, Kenny. He's a loose cannon. He's an outlier. And, and please don't let him doesn't represent our us. relations. He right. doesn't represent. He doesn't even Canada. really represent the province he's pretending to be fighting for. Right. But I, I wonder say, if he really wants this to be approved because he, what he's doing right now is is almost assuring that there is no path forward to even having a civil discussion with Biden on it. I would just say, come on, man. <laughs> exactly. Um, so listen, we hit about an hour 15 here and we, we promised we wouldn't keep you too long. So we're going to let you let you go here. Jeremy, did you have any final? Yeah, thank you. Did you have any thoughts for Thomas before we let him out of here? Uh, 
No, uh, just uh, thanks for coming on again. It's always uh, interesting to uh, pick your brain because you have a lot of experience in these matters and you know a lot of Yeah, stuff. it's the inside scoop stuff. We really yeah, like that. Yeah, like and I think that's awesome. what the listeners like too. And we'll have to we'll have to have you on again at some point. Well, you're always too. welcome yeah. on the Forgotten Corner, my we friend. Can, uh, we can make it sort of a regular, a recurring segment, you know, the the line. Well, I'll leave it, I'll leave it to you, to you gentlemen. Yeah. No, it's 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 difficult. Uh, I think for um, politics is, is 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 sort of complex in a way, and then there's so much stuff that goes behind the scenes, um, and and most people are 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 so busy um, that you know they, they just normally don't don't follow it. But having that uh, that inside understanding how things happen, and 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 it's important to understand the continuum because all those decisions are related to each other. You know, there is a when you look at it from from a distance, it, there is actually a picture that's starting to form. But again, if you're not really into it, then uh, you know you wouldn't you wouldn't quite follow it. And and that means that means that most of Albertans are no, are normal. But you know, I wouldn't be shocked that um, anybody would be following it so so closely. Well said, my friend. And like I said, thank you so much for coming on. Thank it's, a, you. it's a it's a pleasure for us every time. And uh, just keep staying vocal because uh, you know ignore those people that think you're doing it for you. Um, to 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 the to the masses, it definitely comes across like somebody that's fighting for um, a province they really care about, and uh, that comes across to us. And uh, we appreciate everything you do and keep keep at her. And uh, thanks for coming on. This thank is you. the time in the show where we thank all of our uh, patrons who go above and beyond anything we could ever ask for. So to Dave Bond Miller, to Big Red Machine, and to the beautiful and talented Chris Sturwolf, thank you guys for everything you guys do. To our anonymous patrons that won't let us say their name, we really, really appreciate you as well. To everyone else that donates, thank you so much. Smash five-star review, you guys. It helps us get shared and um, get this uh, stuff out there because, like I said, there's so much going on. And uh, it's hard to touch on everything, but I think uh, this Wellington consulting stuff is, is something special. So have a look at it. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. <laughs>